You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. In each podcast, technology-focused lawyers at Wiley, a Washington, D.C. law firm, break down innovation and law with a uniquely D.C. perspective. Wiley's cybersecurity and privacy team brings insights on the latest developments in cybersecurity law and policy from Washington, D.C. This morning, we're going to hear from Megan Brown, partner in Wiley's telecom media and technology practice, and Lynn Brown, special counsel, also in our TMT practice. We brought these experts here today to talk about the September 19th release of a report on harmonizing cyber incident reporting to the federal government. This report comes from the Department of Homeland Security's Cyber Incident Reporting Council. So first, what is the Cyber Incident Reporting Council? Well, thank you, Josh. Lynn and I are looking forward to chatting about this topic. Congress passed in 2022 the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act, CERCIA or CERSHA, as it's called by various uh, folks in the government. That law kicked off this major rulemaking at DHS's CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. That's sort of a separate beast, and we can discuss that maybe in another pod. That rulemaking is about incident reporting. But the law also created this council, the Cyber Incident Reporting Council, separate from CISA, to coordinate and look at federal incident reporting requirements across the board to see sort of where there might be opportunities for harmonization or deconfliction, which is super important, as we'll discuss. This council was a compromise among the policymakers at the time. Some of the folks on the Hill were pushing for actual deconfliction in the law to make the new reporting displace existing laws. That didn't happen, so they made this council to do a report. The CERC is headed by the DHS secretary, who delegated his duties to Rob Silvers, who's an undersecretary for policy, and a lawyer named Tom McDermott really kind of quarterbacked this, working with the private sector and all the different government agencies. And the report that was released is the report that Congress asked them to put together. The legislation called for DHS to lead the council in consultation with the director of OMB the Attorney General, the National Cyber Director, sector risk management agencies, and other appropriate federal agencies to try to reflect a whole-of-government approach. The report indicates that 33 agencies participated in the Council's work, including CISA, the SEC, FBI, DOJ, the FCC, and the FTC. The White House also participated not just through OMB, but also through the Office of the National Cyber Director and the National Security Council as well. All right. Thank you for that background. So how did the council work with these 33 agencies to put this report together? So they held some meetings and work sessions first starting in July of last year. And DHS staff went out and surveyed all the different federal agencies to pull together information about what those agencies currently require in incident reporting. They also had some listening sessions with several of the critical infrastructure sectors. I participated in a few, I think, Lynn, and you may have joined a couple, to hear from industry groups who also provided written and oral feedback about some of the challenges. I remember one point was made repeatedly was not just to look at actual technical conflict, but to look at the burdens and overlapping reporting requirements. So lots of companies and trade associations contributed to explain all the different timing requirements and triggers and content expectations across the federal landscape. Thank you. So then how did DHS and the council turn that outreach into the recommendations? The council or the CERC analyzed over 50 different federal 
cyber incident reporting requirements and, as Megan indicated, engaged with numerous industry and private sector stakeholders. Their goal was to make recommendations to streamline these requirements so that federal agencies could receive the information they need without creating duplicative burdens on victim companies that are faced with a cyber incident and want to prioritize incident response and customer care. The report makes a variety of recommendations for streamlining duplicative requirements that the executive branch and Congress can now focus on. The report's recommendations and proposed legislative changes can serve as a roadmap for the alignment and the harmonization of federal cyber incident reporting requirements going forward. Thanks, Lynn. All right, so how burdensome are reporting requirements on companies? What's the effect on an incident response? They're really quite burdensome because of the multiplicity of obligations, and they're all sort of slightly different. So companies can face several layers of possible reporting. So if you take like a hypothetical large company might have in an incident that involves data breach, for example, they could have multiple up to 50 state notification obligations under those state laws. They could have a notification obligation to the New York Department of Financial Services, which also has regulatory requirements for cyber incident notification. They could have obligations to report to the Department of Defense if they're a defense contractor and they hit the triggers there for certain kinds of system impacts and data spillage. They might have obligations to agencies like the Federal Communications Commission. It's an art space. It's a telecom company. And they might have obligations to make public disclosures if the event is material under, for example, the Securities and Exchange Commission's rules. They also may need to make public announcements and communicate with their customers, suppliers, vendors, so that's a lot to balance when you are in the throes of an incident response. You may not have full information at that time. And then the reporting itself creates additional burdens. And Lynn and I have lived through this. You might have a company that wants to voluntarily work with the FBI and report something, and they're cooperating with law enforcement. They might be sharing indicators of compromise. They might be working with them collaboratively. Uh, but then they could also get follow-up requests from the agencies to which they made incident reports, so the FCC or DOD. And so the company is potentially getting pulled on in several directions, which takes some time away from both the incident responders and the lawyers and the managers to be sure you're getting the government back the information that they ask for in an accurate way. And frankly, these existing duplicative requirements, they can be burdensome on large companies, but they can be particularly challenging for smaller companies who don't have a giant team of lawyers to help manage all of these competing requests and demands. And frankly, a lot of companies don't understand why they need to repeatedly provide the same or similar information about an incident to several agencies in the government and are asking themselves, what's the point of a lot of this? And why can't the government do a better job of sharing information inside of itself to avoid these cascading burdens on the private sector? Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about how the report addressed these issues. What did DHS find? Well, in terms of volume, the report identifies 52 current or imminent federal cyber incident reporting requirements, 45 of which are currently in effect by law or regulation, and seven are proposed rules. So again, we're talking about 52 in effect or proposed federal cyber incident reporting requirements. Now, we should say here that the survey of Federal cyber incident reporting requirements is really useful for putting all the varied reporting requirements with their authorities, their expectations, their triggers and timelines all in one place. So I, I highly recommend that folks take a look at the information that's in Appendix B. 
It's also interesting to note that these 45 active reporting requirements are administered by 22 different federal agencies, which gives you some perspective on the multiple reporting requirements that victim companies face when they experience a cyber incident. So what do all these conflicting and overlapping requirements mean for regulated companies? I think it should be obvious to most people that if you've got more than 40 different reporting regimes, not all of which are going to apply to any one company at any one time, but it is really a challenge because companies have to consider, right? They have to analyze when have we hit what triggers? What are the triggers? Who do we have to tell? And when do we have to update? So these companies may have to make multiple reports to multiple agencies on different timelines, right? DOD is 72 hours. The Federal Communications Commission might be seven days. So there's just a lot of subtle differences that when a company is running through its spreadsheet in the middle of an incident, they're going to have to make these decisions and possibly repeatedly make these decisions as information evolves in their investigation that might mean you've now hit a trigger. For example, a telecom company may need to make two different reports required by the FCC for the same incident. If there's a network outage, that's one kind of reporting. Then there's a report that might be required if there's been any unauthorized access to certain kinds of data that the FCC regulates. It's called CPNI, Customer Proprietary Network Information. And they might have to make all of these again to DHS later when the CERCIA rules are in place. And that may be in addition to New York DFS, as I mentioned, state data breach notices, as well as commercial contractual notices, customer notices. And each of these reports may require slightly different information. And companies need and want to get that information right. So you can just imagine these repeated analyses that companies are going through to analyze whether they've run up against a regulatory reporting obligation on a repeated cadence as the facts come in. And that can lead to some confusion during incidents. It also can waste time that should be focused on investigating and remediating an incident. And it also can lead to piling on by federal agencies who themselves want additional information. They may follow up with the victim company, but they might not coordinate with each other. And so we have seen this in practice, and it really is disruptive. And the report really does do a nice job of focusing on the differences that Megan just mentioned, the differences in definitions and timelines and triggers, the content of reports and reporting mechanisms. For instance, the reporting requirements use different definitions to describe the type of cyber incident that must be reported. So CERCIA uses the term substantial loss or serious impact, while DOD's rules for its contractors define a cyber incident as a compromise or an actual or potentially adverse effect on an information system or the information residing on that system. The timelines or triggers also vary. For example, CERCIA, which, as we've mentioned, DHS is developing the implementing rules for, will require notification to CISA of a covered cyber incident within 72 hours notification to CISA of a ransomware payment within 24 hours. TSA, on the other hand, is requiring rail and pipeline operators to report cyber incidents within 24 hours. Other reporting obligations use more general terms requiring reporting promptly or without delay. So there's a variety of timelines or triggers that are currently out there that companies need to navigate. One frustration that I've come across is that agencies also ask for different things when someone is making a report. And both Lynn and I have been sort of online with clients trying to fill out those reports. And some may have fields and drop down choices that don't match what your incident is or what system name it is. 
some of the fields might not be applicable at all and the options don't match and some are open text. So there's a lot of difference in how you populate these reporting forms. And I think the council understood this and I think they are trying to help the government grapple with this. There's also differences in the way you report. Some allow online forms, some email to kind of a Dropbox situation, some a phone call. So there's a lot of diversity there. And if I recall, the report noted that 14 of the 22 agencies that have reporting requirements give you an online submission option. And then there are 13 separate forms and 10 websites in use by the federal government for incident reporting. And that's a lot for companies with multiple reporting obligations to navigate quickly and on these short-term timeframes. And I think the council, to its credit, understood that and is trying to shine a light on that. So how did this happen? How did it come to be <laughs> that there are multiple cyber reporting requirements that hit companies in many ways? That's a great question, Josh. I think big picture, I think part of it is that every agency seems to want to play in the cyberspace. And that may be a bit cynical. I think the government is concerned about visibility into cyber incidents, and they think they can help if they can get a sense, almost like a dashboard or a real sense of what's going on in the private sector. I don't know that those assumptions are right, but that's kind of where we are. Some of the overlap is really caused by agencies that have many sectors, right? So the Securities and Exchange Commission, they regulate all public companies, not critical infrastructure sector by sector. But then you might have other agencies like Lynn mentioned the rail and pipeline requirements. Well, those were promulgated by TSA, which is a sector specific agency. So you kind of have these different levels of specificity. You have broad reporting obligations and then you have narrower ones for the different sectors. But what you end up with is a whole bunch of overlap. And for example, Circea is going to come up with those rules are going to have a 72 hour broad requirement across multiple regulatory sectors, although they did take they received comment from the private sector urging them to consider different approaches for different sectors. So we're all kind of waiting to see what they put in their NPRM. So that's kind of how we got into what I consider to be sort of a mess here on reporting. Okay, so what does the Cyber Incident Reporting Council recommend we do about this mess? Well, the report, as we've already said, does a nice job of cataloging the multiple federal cyber incident reporting requirements that are in existence or are proposed. The report goes on to recommend that the federal government adopt a model definition of reportable cyber incident for federal agencies to use in current and future reporting regulations. And the report provides a model definition of a reportable cyber incident that focuses on four key elements involving things like a substantial loss of confidentiality, integrity, or availability of a covered information system, a disruption or significant adverse impact on an entity's ability to engage in its operation, disclosure of unauthorized access to non-public personal information of a significant number of individuals, or potential operational disruption to other critical infrastructure systems or assets. So the model definition of a reportable cyber incident would include Things like indicators of compromise, a business or operational disruption of customers or third parties, or a business or operational disruption caused by a compromise of a cloud service provider or a managed service provider. I also like the idea in the report of a common reporting platform and common information sharing platforms to ease the burden on victim companies from duplicative reporting. I think there's a lot of merit to the idea of streamlining communications with victim companies after the initial incident reporting to avoid confusion 
an uncoordinated outreach from multiple agents to a, a victim company that's really in crisis mode following a cyber attack. Agree with all that, Lynn. The report also recommends that the government outline sort of a model reporting timelines and triggers that agencies can use and giving priority and faster reporting timelines for incidents that may disrupt or degrade national critical functions and have sort of strong, big impacts on public health or safety, for example. I think the devil is going to be in the details there because my worry is the government's going to grab the 72 hours that Congress put in Circea and sort of expand that out when I think the 72 hours, I think it's unfortunate that they landed on 72 because I do think that is very fast. But helpfully, the report endorses delay options. And this is one of the big disappointments that I have with the Securities and Exchange Commission cyber rule is they backhanded commenters' requests to say, hey, before you make us go public with a disclosure about a material cyber incident, let us have time to work with law enforcement. Let us have time to more carefully look at the incident. And the SEC really, I thought, backhanded that request for a delay, which is common across almost all other cyber incident reporting regimes, and said that they would allow a delay for national security or public safety issues upon the written request of the United States Attorney General. And I just think that is sort of very, very narrow, so narrow as to be impractical, and it raises really serious security issues from premature disclosures. But here, the CERT endorses the concept of protecting investigations and law enforcement. I think that was really helpful. Last thing I'll point out here is the report recommends the use of a common form and that agencies use sort of a common lexicon. I'm a little skeptical of the suitability of a common form. I know Lynn said she liked the idea of it. I do think it will be hard to create because there are differences in sectors. And I worry that if you're trying to have one common form for everything, you're going to end up putting so many options in it that it's going to become really unwieldy. So they might look at different kinds of like decision trees or flows that might make that a little easier because the systems and data sets that are going to be at issue for, say, a national telecom carrier are going to be very different than an airline or a bank or a utility. So I think that's going to be a real challenge. And hopefully in the rulemaking, we'll work really hard to figure that out and try and get it right. But it's a real challenge. Thanks, Megan. So you already mentioned the SEC's recent rulemaking. How does this Cyber Incident Reporting Council report fit in with some of the other ongoing federal policy in the cybersecurity? Yeah, there is a lot going on, and it is a tough time, I think, to be a critical infrastructure operator and keeping track of all of this. So the National Cybersecurity Strategy was released by the White House. That's sort of a broad set of principles and goals for federal cyber policy. We've talked about that before and noted that it's pushing for more regulation to establish baseline levels of cyber risk management. And I think that I find that to be a little troubling because it is a pro, it's a very much more pro-regulatory document. And on the flip side, the administration is recognizing the challenges posed by this immense patchwork of rules. And they have broadly endorsed harmonization, not just for incident reporting. The Office of the National Cyber Director has out a request for information right now that I would encourage listeners to comment on. They're looking at regulatory harmonization for cybersecurity more generally, not just reporting, but baselines and standards. And what does that patchwork look like? So I'm keen to see what that output, what that generates. We're commenting on that for several clients, and I think they've asked 
a bunch of good questions. I think they need to be more forward-leaning about what kinds of burdens they're trying to help address and not focus narrowly on actual sort of mutually exclusive requirements, but on this overlapping layered burden that the private sector has. So I've already talked about the SEC rules, so I won't belabor those, but I think they're impractical. And I hope the agency reconsiders parts of those, particularly for the law enforcement cooperation period of an incident. Yeah, the idea of burden and burden shifting seemed to come up an awful lot in the feedback that DHS got from some of the non-federal stakeholders during their harmonization engagement. A lot of comments were received that the federal government should minimize the burden on the private sector, the burden of reporting through multiple channels in particular, and that the burden really should be on the federal government to connect the dot and disseminate information to multiple federal agencies that have a legitimate need for it. So that's part of why I like the idea of a common reporting portal where the government can help connect the dots and share information with itself. One of the things that the report noted was a, a section on proposed legislative changes and calls for Congress to remove any of the legal or statutory barriers to harmonization that the council identified. So that would include legislation that authorized the adoption of the model definitions that we talked about earlier, or consistent timelines or consistent triggers, as well as common cyber incident reporting forms or possibly a portal for reporting. But part of that legislative harmonization effort could potentially include an effort to address some of the SEC issues that Megan mentioned, some of the issues with the new SEC rules. So the council's also said it's going to continue to assess the significance of potential barriers to agencies adopting their recommendations and the need for possible legislation authorizing certain agencies to align their regulatory requirements to the council's recommendations. So I see this being as an ongoing process that we'll see continuing for quite some time, perhaps. Thanks, Lynn. So you'd pointed out earlier in our conversation that this report from the Cyber Incident Reporting Council was mandated by Congress. So now that the mandated report is out, is the council going to go away or are they going to keep working on these issues? So it looks to me like their work is going to be ongoing. They say this is a key snapshot into their early efforts. And they the council says it wants to stay involved and keep learning from the stakeholders as various rulemaking efforts chug along. So that to me is good because I think it's important for them to keep focused on this burden that the private sector faces and not let that sort of slip away. Right. The council can also support CISA's efforts to periodically review regulatory requirements and ensure that they avoid unnecessarily duplicative, conflicting, or burdensome requirements. So I expect their work to continue for quite some time. DHS has also said that it's prepared to lead a whole of government effort through the council to reduce complexity and diminish regulatory overlap and reduce duplication. So this will include more work to review and update federal cyber incident reporting requirements as the cyber threat continues to evolve. Lynn, you had mentioned earlier the term connect the dots for the federal government. What impact do you think that this Cyber Incident Reporting Council report and their ongoing work will have on the legal authorities of federal agencies to collect and share relevant information from cyber incident reporting? Well, I think all of the departments and agencies involved need to take a look at their authorities and see if there are modifications that can be made as part of this legislative package proposal that is in the report to facilitate the sharing and the connecting of the dots to make it easier for them to share information. There's also some calls in the report to take a 
particular look at laws like FOIA and other kinds of privileges, some of which were supposed to have been addressed with the Cyber Information Sharing Act of 2015. There are still calls that maybe that didn't go far enough for more substantive information sharing. I think it is concerning that landmark piece of legislation maybe didn't tear down the walls and protect private companies as much as we had hoped when it was passed that it would. But I do think Congress needs to take a look at some of the protecting, some of the ways that they can protect information sharing and facilitate information sharing when cyber incidents are involved. So what should companies be looking at as this harmonization effort moves forward? Will there be an opportunity to engage in this proceeding? So Congress gave this report to DHS in large part to help that agency with the development of the cyber incident reporting rules that they're going to have to draft to implement CIRCEA. And that is a massive rulemaking, as we've discussed, and the public is going to have an opportunity to weigh in on that. They collected a bunch of information early on, and CISA has been working on the NPRM. The law requires them to release that in the spring of next year, but Jen Easterly has said they're going to try and beat that deadline and get the NPRM out maybe at the end of this year. I mean, that will be a large undertaking for the private sector to really look at and try and help the government deal with the many complicated statutory terms and things that Congress told DHS to go do. I think Congress gave them a very tall order because in certain places, the law is quite prescriptive about what the rules have to be. But in other places, it sort of expects DHS to figure things out and make it work practically. And I think that's going to be real challenging to come up with any rules that are appropriate for all of the critical infrastructure sectors. So I was heartened when this report came out. Jenny Sterley, who's the director of CISA, did explicitly say that the government recognizes that cyber incident reporting has to be balanced with the burdens the government is placing on industry. So I guess I would say I'm maybe cautiously optimistic about that, but I really do think it is vital for companies to participate in that rulemaking, including small and medium-sized businesses who may not frequently file a lot of comments with the federal government, but these rules have potential enormous scope. And so you really need to think about what your regulatory environment is and how incident reporting, how those burdens will roll through your organization and think about what the government needs to hear, right? There's a lot of trade-offs at play. The speed of reporting versus the amount of information required, right? The government says sometimes it really wants to know things really fast. But then I think they probably need to know fewer things really fast or only really important things, because the more information they require soon, the harder it is going to be for companies, because many times you just don't know things at 72 hours. What you know may change as your investigation continues and you do data analysis or you look at different parts of your network. One thing that I think will be really important is safe harbors for reporting. Right. The government should really, as Lynn said, not just protect the information that's reporting, that's reported and not just protect the act of reporting, which is what the CISA 2015 law did, but give you some safe harbors from substantive liability and think about how you can help protect companies who have a bad day but didn't do anything really wrong. We have to remind policymakers that there are bad actors that are constantly attacking U.S. businesses who have robust compliance plans and very agile cyber teams. It doesn't mean they don't get through. And then companies and the government will need to think about what, what is the government going to do with the information? Are they going to meaningfully analyze it and send things back out to the private sector? If so, how do you anonymize it? And what is the speed of that? Because in our experience, at least, we have seen companies report information to the government voluntarily and otherwise, 
and they never hear back. And sometimes that's a good thing, but it does make you wonder what is the government doing with all that information? And how are they going to, frankly, how are they going to secure that information? Because the more they demand from the private sector about their networks, their defenses, the richer a target that information is for the government to safeguard. And then there's going to be real hard questions, I think, about who is going to be covered by these new reporting rules. And I'm eager to see the NPRM to see how they're doing the definition of a covered entity that's going to have to make these reports. Because if they get that wrong and make it too broad, they're going to be both inundated with reports from a variety of companies, but also really substantially burden the private sector. So that is my sort of summary of what's coming and what I think companies and associations and groups need to be thinking about for that NPRM. And I would just second that. It's important to go back to where we started, which is just CIRCIA is really landmark legislation. And what CISA is doing is, is groundbreaking in terms of trying to develop and implement regulations that are going to cover cyber incidents for all of critical infrastructure. So it's a really important time for companies to comment on the NPRM when it comes out. I think the report does a good job of showing how much DHS valued the stakeholder feedback and how much the idea of burdens on private companies and burden shifting to the federal government to facilitate information sharing came through. So it's important to have your voice be heard during the notice and comment period. Thank you. I, I think that's a great place for us to wrap up this discussion. I really appreciate uh, Megan Brown, Lynn Brown from Wiley's TNT Practice, talking us through DHS's Cyber Incident Reporting Council report and what that means for companies who operate in the critical infrastructure space. If you'd like to learn more about the CERC report or some of the other really significant issues that are coming out of the federal government today on cybersecurity regulation, we encourage you to check out our blog, wileyconnect.com, or our pages on LinkedIn, or you can certainly contact any of our expert panelists from today's session. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected podcast brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to wileyconnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.